We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, we've crossed another bridge on the path to the NFL draft. Folks, we're less than one month away, and the Carolina Panthers are on the clock. John Ellis here. Billy Marshall kicks us off in a moment. It's the Roar Podcast on Blue Wire. Hope you all have been well. Thanks for joining us as always. It's all draft today. We are going to talk about at the top of the show, Adam Thielen and DJ Chark, two of the new additions to this revamped receiving core. Going to take a closer look, obviously, at Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, talk Will Levis, and a closer dive into Anthony Richardson as that pro day looms coming up here in a few days. Where will Carolina go with this pick? Is the card already in, folks? We just don't know. But we're going to take you through each one of these quarterbacks, what we see on tape, and how we think they'll translate. With that said, here's Billy Marshall to get us started with another edition of The Roar on Blue Wire. As we sit here today, the NFL is having their annual March League meetings. Uh, Frank Reich had a press conference today. The news since our last episode has been coming in. Um, you know, I don't know if we got to the Adam Thielen signing, but uh, you know, the Panthers did invest, or they did sign two wide receivers since our last show. Uh, Adam Thielen to a three-year deal and uh, DJ Chark to a one-year deal. Uh, what are your thoughts on those two signings? Yeah, I think when you look at what they're doing right now, Billy, and I don't think we touched on it during the last show, especially Chark, we talked about Thielen as a possibility, and it turned out that they had interest. He's a slot guy. That's the majority of what he's going to do for Carolina. I think, you know, there's been a lot made about the contract, and, you know, I'm going to wait and see how I feel about all that as it plays out. I don't have a problem with any of this initially because I think – when you look at what he's done in the past few years, 30 touchdown receptions with his snap production in play because of Justin Jefferson and uh, Osborne has had a you know impact there. You got Hawkinson now, so they just didn't have enough room there. Um, and I, I like the fact that once again he's a big physical guy. I, I reached out to one of our buddies, Honest NFL, who is on Twitter. He's great, and I was asking him, "Hey, this is like Frank, six foot two receivers." He said, "No, not really, but it seems like Frank." is looking for sort of a catch radius type of group here, not necessarily height or all that, but you know, there's a radius thing going on with Thielen with the size and he's sneaky, quiet. It's six, two. You don't think he's that big of a guy, but he is, he's physical. By the way, just a little trivia here. His first ever touchdown was against the Panthers in that 
just fucking miserable game, Billy, back in 2014 when we were up in Minnesota. It was a block punt against Carolina. Um, so he's kind of full circle here coming back here. Good hands, good route. I mean, you know the story with Adam. He's been around for a long time. Good leader in that locker room. So, yeah, I'm really pleased that they were able to, as we talked about on the last show, Billy, if DJ Moore is going to leave, and he did, and that's the big the point of contention a lot of fans have with us, say we're being too negative. No, I think we're just sizing up, hey, what does this mean and what's next? I think that's a step in the right direction added. Adam Thielen, who is still healthy, still productive as ever right now, and can take on, again, I think most of what he'll see is slot production, but there's going to be 11 personnel on the field a lot. So you're not looking at a bit player here. He's probably going to have as many targets as anybody right now. And then Chark, look, stay healthy. I mean, that's the key for DJ Chark. There's reports now that our good friend Mike Kay, and I'm trying to follow up on this, that he had ankle surgery, Billy, I believe it looks like. Um, I'll have to do a little digging on this, but th- there were some reports today that came out about not health concerns, but just something medically that he's having done. I'll follow up in a minute on that. But he's a contested ball guy. He's obviously a vertical threat. I think he was 16 and a half yards of reception last year. He made some big plays against this defense in Carolina. Uh, made a nice play in week one against Darius Slay on a go route. And that's kind of what you're getting with a DJ Chark, a guy that's 6'4". It's got the catch radius, as we talk about. Um, I wouldn't speculate that the shorter of the two quarterbacks needs tall receivers. Somebody asked me that. I said, no, I think any rookie quarterback, think of Cam Newton, that big physical taller guys, other than Steve Smith, he could play tall. I think it's a good step. You got Hayden Hurst. We talked about in the, in the seam there tied in. So I I like the signings. I do. I hope Chark can stay healthy. Yeah. I think both players, they just like kind of fill out your roster for now. Um, you know, as players themselves, uh, I don't think, well, I shouldn't say I don't think this shouldn't eliminate the possibility of them drafting multiple receivers in the draft. I agree. I agree. For the simple fact, that, I mean, Chark is on a one year deal. He, as you just said, he has not proven to stay healthy for an entire year. I like, I really like the player himself, but I mean, the devil's in the details and his contract is just a one year. Uh, you know, $5 million deal. And yep. I mean, that's certainly a shrewd signing, but you know, he has not been able to stay healthy the past couple of years. So there's a lot of incentive for him to take a one year deal and figure out if he can manage his way through a 17 game season. And, you know, I think the thing with, I've always been a big Adam Thielen fan. I do think there was a drop off in his play uh, but I still believe that as a wide receiver, two or three, I mean, he's a pretty ideal option. Uh, but to get back to my original point, this should not eliminate the need to address wide receiver early in the draft. Um, like I said, Chark has not shown an ability to stay healthy for the past couple of years. So he has to uh, show some level of consistency uh, with his availability. And Adam Thielen is 33 years old. So uh, right now you're looking at the young guy currently in the room, I think it's like Terrace Marshall and Shai Smith. And, uh, you know, certainly with Marshall, it's the same thing with Chark. It's like he has to show that he can stay uh, healthy for long stretches of time. And I was a huge fan of what he showed uh, towards the end of the year, but um, I just hope for a little more consistency. And so for me, I think these are signings that they had to make just because they had to 
address the situation. So they deserve credit, but um, I'm still looking at the draft as an option to really address this uh, position. And I think they should. I think what you need at some point, and maybe Marshall's the guy, but you know, Burrow, when you get a guy on a rookie deal, for instance, whether it's Joe Burrow, it's a great example of this because his teammate from LSU, uh, Jamar Chase, also on a rookie deal, they'll get paid at some point together. Uh, and that day's coming pretty soon, and they've earned it. Uh, presumably, Carolina picks a quarterback here. I think we're on board with that. We don't know which one it's going to be, but I think we're going to have a nice little chat tonight about who we feel might be best for this team. And at some point, you would like to see, again, Marshall was not an insignificant investment, but you're not talking first-round capital there. Um, there are some good receivers in this draft. There are some guys that might fit what we do here, depending on who we draft. And so, yeah, I agree with that pick on the second round that we still have. You know, maybe they'll leverage up and move up if they can. I'm not against that at all. I'm not against the idea of, hey, if you can find somebody this year or maybe even next year to be a young receiver that has a higher ceiling than what they have with maybe Marshall and is more durable than Chark and certainly younger than Thielen, that's going to be a priority. In the moment for the upcoming season, if Chark stays healthy, they can add somebody, work them into the mix from the second, third round. I think they're in a really good spot here to get the motor going forward, maybe not be a playoff team yet, but at least get things in the right direction, sort of like year one for Doug Peterson in Philly. They weren't playoff ready, but they were well on their way. That's what you're looking for here to get this rookie quarterback around some people that he can lean on. And I'm, I'm digging it, but I also see the cracks in the armor right there that you're talking about. There's some age issues, some injury concerns. But certainly they did fill out the roster. And, you know, look, I think we start looking to the draft and you say, who's next? What could be next? You've obviously got the number one overall pick. You've got some picks still available there in day two, day three that could fill things out even more. But I I think people, you know, we're not calling listeners out here, fans. People are kind of in agreement, I think, for the most part. It's a pretty decent receiving group. But, again, you've got a young quarterback here that's coming in, and they're going to have to have all the support they can get. Can't happen overnight. And that's what I told you on the last pod, Bill. You asked me what would I do. I said, be conservative. Take it slow. Do not overspend right now. And, you know, Hopkins is still out there. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think OBJ is going to happen. I think they got to look to the draft. I'm with you, man. Yeah, for sure. And they, I mean, they should. I mean, those guys are in their 30s right now. So it's kind of um, pointless, in my opinion, to continue to stack this room with veteran receivers. You need young. I mean, it's a young man's game and wide receivers in particular. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't age as um, harshly as running backs, but it's still a position where uh, just the availability on a week-to-week basis it matters and the younger guys who are coming into the league now um, they have shown that you know drafting younger guys has proven to be the tried method and i just would say like um, yeah i've like i said i have no issue with the two guys that they signed i just would say that um, they really should target a receiver who has shown uh, a history that maybe doesn't have the injury history. Like I know they took a chance with Marshall because they had a really high grade on him, uh, but we know why he fell. And that was due to some of the injury concerns. So if they do target and we'll get into the wide receivers and some of the prospects that capture our our attention. Uh, But 
you know, dra- targeting a receiver who that just shown an ability to stay healthy. I think that would make the most sense. And there's certainly a few names on the top of my list that could be available at 39. Uh, I know they, it was reported at least that uh, the Ohio state wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba has a top 30 visit with Carolina. I certainly don't expect him to fall at 39. And I also don't expect Carolina to trade up for him. I think they're probably going to, um, trade down if anything just to re- recoup some picks um, but... I, like, I like the receiver and I, it, it makes sense if they draft Stroud but that's kind of a pipe dream to me with what they've already spent capital wise I agree yeah like if he falls to like 39 which never say yeah. never never say never yeah there's a lot of really good players who always fall in the draft for whatever reason I think you certainly have to look at that situation then but uh, but yeah, like for me, I'm looking, I'm targeting guys like Tyler Scott, Josh Downs, um, those type of receivers. I think they would make a they pretty... flowers too, man. I mean, there's yeah, there's an interesting flowers. batch in the middle there. Cedric Tillman. I mean, he was, I know Hyatt got a lot of the attention last year, but A.T. Perry, that's another guy. I think you and I talked about, I covered him in the ACC. He was like DJ Chark on steroids with that catch radius. So there's an interesting dynamic there. And uh, I can't wait to get your take on the receiving group. Cause I know you study these guys a little more than I have, but it, there's some names there. I like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those guys will have different projections, uh, but yeah, Scott would be one that I'm really interested in if, if that does present itself. Uh, but let's stick to the quarterbacks and, you know, Carolina has been sending the cavalry to these pro days. Um, <laughs> I, I want to get your thoughts on this because what are your thoughts on this huge group going to these pro days? Because I have some thoughts myself that I want to, uh, just voice, but I, I want to get your input first. Um, yeah. So not unusual, I guess, in terms of having a number of people from your coaching staff, obviously it's not totally unprecedented to have the owner there. And, you know, people will talk about Nicole Tepper and look, I'm trying to be respectful here. Nicole is an executive with the team. I don't think she's done any bit of harm necessarily to their progress, so I got no problem. She's tagging along and, and not just tagging along, but being some sort of part of getting to know these quarterbacks. And when I talk to a couple of scouts that we've gotten to know over the years, Billy, I mean, the sense I get is it's not really a reason to celebrate or panic over David Tepper's presence there. I They get the sense that Dave just wants to, in these parts of the pro day that, at least from my perspective, Bill, a lot of it doesn't really matter. It, it, except for the fact that if you're, you're going to draft a quarterback, especially the getting to know you element is one more thing that they like to get done there, taking them out to dinner, whatever it is, a cup of coffee, just having the face-to-face interaction. There's some things you can glean from, from the workouts. The throws are nice, but most scouts you talk to around the league, most coaches that have done it are not like enamored with pro day activity. It's data. They use it, but honestly, it's really just to get to know you for a lot of these guys. I think that's why David Tepper went. I think David Tepper is there just from people that we know that I trust. I don't sense that it's a lot of meddling going on here. I don't think that's in the cards. And you and I have talked about how Tepper has operated. And I think we've actually been pretty complimentary of him that he let these guys rule and fitter at the time. And Dan Morgan operate in the draft room. And he was not central to that. You see reporting out there. Oh, David Tepper likes this guy, that guy. I, I don't know that to be true. I, maybe it is. I don't know. He can have an opinion. He owns the team. Uh, I, I don't have this fear at night that it's going to get out of hand because I think the real problem from the beginning was he did not have a lot of smart football people around him. 
he always talked about you don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. Well, he literally, I think, kind of got himself in a position where, all right, I've got a lot of amateurs here on amateur hour. They're college guys and a hodgepodge of NFL guys, and this is just not going to work. There's a lot of intelligence and a lot of experience in that staff. Um, I like that Josh McCown is getting on the ground early, and he sounds and looks like he's going to have a heavy influence on this decision, um, as he should. Thomas Brown as well, he's right there in the mix. I don't pay attention to who's dapping up better and who's <laughs> like, there's a lot of attention. Oh, it looked a lot more robust at Ohio state. Well, maybe, but that was their first stop. And I don't know who likes who the most right now. I just, with Tepper, I it's day to day with me as far as what goes on with him. I'm happy with the direction he's taking the team right now. And I don't read too much into the business other than he owns the team and is an investment, his first franchise quarterback draft and his time owning this team. I just, he wants to be a part of it. So, and he hasn't been a distraction so far. It hasn't been all about Dave saying this or that. So, so far, so good. Let's just uh, make sure we let the football people make the decisions. Yeah. Um, I a hundred percent agree. I actually don't worry about anything you just said there. I have no issue with him going. I have no issue with him interviewing. I have no issue with him showing up. Um, my only, my only one slight concern about this elaborate process is that there's a lot of voices in the room and when there are a lot of voices in the room that can cause a little bit of tension uh when one person has an opinion and another person i i am all for being collaborative and inclusive uh, especially with a decision like this but i also think that you've paid and you've made the hires at the general manager in the head coaching position to solicit their input at the highest level Um, because you know the offensive coordinator the quarterback coach they could all have their own preferences Uh, but at the end of the day in my opinion the decision should be made by two individuals and that's the gm and the head coach i really absolutely absolutely and And frank you know frank said i'm sorry they asked him during the i guess the breakfast of the owners meeting and frank had told a reporter this morning it was joe or, or mike k one of the guys out there that he pretty much said, yeah, it's, it's going to be between me and Scott. That's the final decision. And, you know, coach speak is what it is. And I just take Frank Reich as much as anybody in the league for his work because he's about as honest as they come. So I just – I don't get any bad vibes right now. I was very unclear as far as what the roadmap fucking was when Matt Rule was here. And that's not a knock on Matt, but I just – that was uncharted waters for me as an analyst and fan of this team. Like, holy shit – there's a lot of things I'm looking at and saying this could be problematic because there's not a lot of competency here or experience here. And Tepper's got a heavy hand in it. And the GM is still Marty Herney. And it's just, boy, that, it, we've come a long way since then. <laughs> so uh, I think we need to do a little toast and say, all right, for a minute we can breathe and say, okay, I think they're going the right direction. And you just hope, like you say, that the, the it's not the egos, but you're right. There's a collective thought process here when you collaborate and, I'm sure it's been very well organized to this point, but look, John, just... at the end of the day, everyone has a boss. Like the, somebody's got, yeah. The, the QB exactly. coach's boss is the OC. The OC's boss is the head coach and the head coach's but boss the is the owner. Who's the, the owner? The owner. That's the thing. The owner is a tiebreaker in this situation because he's the one, uh, he and she are the two individuals who yeah. have um, autonomy over this organization. And so again, Totally fine with all these people being present. Of Seattle sent a large contingent of individuals to their pro day too. Yeah. And, and they were tweeting about it too. I thought it was great. Yeah, they stopped doing the tweets, man. It was awesome. 
Um, but again, I just hope that they arrive to the correct conclusion and that, um, you know, having disagreement, I think is very healthy in a, uh, football organization you don't sure, want everyone a, to see yeah. eye to eye on everything it's a big it's, decision this is a yeah. big moment for this franchise a big moment for this owner um it's a huge moment for the, the quarterback that gets taken so look I, tepper being there it did not shock me people were like oh my god i wasn't stunned at all no that that i i anticipate i actually was kind of hoping he'd do it honestly because to me it, it's more growth more learning for him get around some people who know what they're doing observe and then you can have some more confidence moving forward that, hey, I don't have to be in every room all the time. Be there if you want. Let's just start winning some games and getting some production on the field so we can stop questioning everything that happens because this stems from results, Billy. I think part of the reason you're questioning this is, hey, it's a lot of voices, a lot of hands in the cookie jar, a lot of assistant coaches, a lot of minds that are very good, but there's only, I think, two, maybe three quarterbacks they seriously are scoping out right now. That's my opinion. Probably two, maybe three. So hopefully they're getting enough data and enough feel for these guys by now. They kind of know where they're heading, but that's, that's what the rest of this month is for, I guess, and next month. But I don't think, Dave, we're in, like, alarmed mode right now. But, yeah, I don't like the reports where, you know, David Tepper really likes Will Levis, and then he also really likes – who cares? Fine, great. I, I like Bryce Young. I like all of them. But, you know, I, my opinion has changed dramatically over the past couple of weeks since I've gotten some tape study done and we'll talk about that too but they're all very good quarterbacks i mean look they all have different strengths weaknesses some are more ready than others um but you know dave's there and he owns the team hopefully like you said just uh let, let's let frank and scott get in a room together at the end of it iron it out and be rational and that you know what last yeah, thing, because in 2011 they only sent ron rivera and marty herney to these pro exactly days. thank you they didn't even send say, they it. didn't send chudzinski yep. and uh these other individuals yeah and I just think like, like I said, I I don't want to be harp on this too much. We'll get to these quarterbacks here. I just, you know, when you're sitting down and especially like, I, again, the owner can do whatever he wants, but uh, if your intention is to also bring these individuals to Charlotte for a top 30 visit, then I think it's probably a little um, uh, just more ideal in a sense to take him out to dinner around town and yeah and there in that setting i do wonder i do and this again for for all our listeners here i'm not going to waste any more time justifying what we do here we love you guys if you think we're being negative go for it i'm done worrying about that i, I do wonder why david tapper felt the need to go I, i'm again i'm coming in this from perspective. yeah because J- didn't jim Nagy say it's like it, it was very unusual or something well, no, they McShay said it. McShay said the only time he remembered it happening was Dan Snyder at um, RG3s, and I think you mentioned one other one that might have happened. Um, but it's very rare. No, it's pro days. But no, like, I, look, I'm not knocking pro days, but it's just like the, it's one last round of, of like you know on-field visits. It's really not that big of a deal. It's a big deal for the university, big deal for a lot of the prospects that are looking to get one last push. But you're not learning a whole hell of a lot. You'll learn some things in the meetings, but yeah, I really don't think you're learning much at the, you're not, you know, you're not. So Dave, I, I don't know if it's, he just wants to be around football guys. He likes it. I just think, you know, it, some fans get a little perturbed by that just because it hasn't been a good run so far with this team just win. And then none of these questions come up and you, to your point, it's more of a practical, you know, concern on your end. Cause there's a lot of people. It's not just Tep. It's not just Nicole Tepper. It's damn the whole offensive staff and Samir Suleiman's there. Yeah, and that's a weird thing. Samir's the cap guy. I mean, you know, I, 
why is he there i don't why is samir there i don't and i just i just want to make a headline like guys there are other uh, you know the panthers have how many other picks six other picks and other positions that they need to address besides they're they're making deals with shark and i mean they're obviously getting their work done but i i'm not alarmed by any of it it's it's okay though as we've done this show for three years together now to just raise a few questions like is this how other teams typically do it good teams bad teams this is an interesting process no, i, I actually I, I am a big advocate of coaches in particular going to pro days and i the reason i say that is because coaches like, yeah yeah definitely seeing like players move like in person and throw in person i think that does have a lot of value um but anyway that, that that's just one thing i want to bring uh, up last, um, last thing i think i think i think tep wanted to visits as many visits as possible with the guy that he views as this is the guy I'm drafting. This is my version of what Jerry Richardson's Cam Newton was. I, I need to make sure I'm comfortable with it. Now, is that the ultimate tiebreaker? Look, I, I hope there's not really going to be a tiebreaker discussion here that comes down to <laughs> bringing the owner into the office. This needs to be football driven. So I, I trust Scott and Frank have that power right now, but we will find out, I guess in due time who made what decision and how, Let's just get the right guy and let's make sure the offense clicks. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, that's that's at the end of the day. That's so on Homeland when they locked uh, what's his name Lockhart in the office, like <laughs> Saul. Remember the last season? Yeah, for those who've seen Homeland, you know what I'm doing. I love Dave Tepper. He's fine. He's all right. But lock him in that boardroom for 20 minutes and go ahead and make the decision because save him from himself. Uh, he's talked about it, Bill. He's he's very good at what he does and he he knows what he doesn't know and he's not going to become an overnight nfl scout by traveling with <laughs> these guys pro day circuits uh, it felt a little bit like the owner going to fantasy camp and that's fine if he's out there taking picks with steve smith if he wants to get out there and and slap and glad hand with some of the the, the prospects you know go for it i like to see it it was actually kind of fun but now let's get down to business and let the football people make the decision and sit back and reap the rewards. Enjoy owning the team. Yeah, because I, I think the reason why I bring this up is like you were tweeting about this earlier this morning, and I think you were expressing some concern and some people were telling you it's all fine and dandy. So I'm glad we were able to kind of hash this out. Oh yeah. I mean, like it's I mean, like you said, the owner is more than welcome to travel to pro days. I got but... no problem. But I, we were also allowed to voice an opinion on it. I mean, hell, we're not, we, we don't work for the team. And even if we did, they're, they're actually, you know, do a pretty good job of being honest, but I'm not going to sit here and kiss anybody's ass. That, that would not be true to who we are. Win games. But he's, they have just to be real clear before we move on, they have not done anything wrong here. It's just our perspective on this very unique approach where you have this big of a caravan going to pro days. Um, I do have a lot of trust in Frank Reich. I do have a lot of trust in his staff. I'm a Scott guy so far. I think he has not been the problem and he's not without some blame here along the way, but they hired a very bad NFL coach and he did a very bad job in a lot of ways. And that's behind us. So let's try to focus on this staff making the right decision. And let's see, I don't think Dave's going to be like meddling. I just, he did it last year in the draft two years ago. He was not really, the only thing is it's a quarterback. It's franchise quarterback and they moved all the way up to one. And so the narratives have been, you hear reporting, oh, this is Tepper's big swing. This is all about Tepper. He had to approve it. So it's a lot to give up. Let's make sure we get a quarterback that can make it worth it, right? Yeah, and I'll be curious to know what kind of methodology 
um, was behind his decision to attend. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure we'll figure that out soon. Um, Get out okay. of the basement, Billy. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, if they have extra room for me on that private jet, I'll be happy to take a visit yeah, to Columbus or Tuscaloosa or like Gainesville. Or... I just want to hang out. I just want to hang out with the guys. I'll pass on a visit to Lexington, but I'll go to the other three cities. <laughs> They're good college towns. Oh, yo, that's a little indicator of where your QB rankings are. I see. Okay. Um, but let's start with uh, my quarterback one. That's Bryce Young, and yeah. uh, you know, coming out of high school, he was a five-star recruit, and he played for a powerhouse there at Matter D High School down in Southern California. He was a number one dual threat QB, and uh, I think that he showed the past two years that he is a quarterback who elevates the talent around him. I mean, he really carried that Alabama team the past uh, year, I would say even there's parts of uh, 2021 too, where he had to just kind of will the team on his back and join Hare stadium in Auburn when he brought them back uh, on the road and took it to overtime and won the game. And then he played exceptionally against Georgia in the SEC championship game and uh, followed that up with a pretty decent performance in the title game. I, I know they didn't win it, but um, John, I believe Mechie and uh, Jamison Williams were out of that game. So he, again, he was working with uh, not much surrounding talent. And, you know, another plus is that he was uh, versed in the Bill O'Brien uh, offense, a lot of uh, Ernst and Perkins style system, uh, but, yeah, you know it has its own connotations, but it's an NFL system for the most part, and I think that's certainly a strength. A lot of people mention Will Levis playing an NFL offense as a strength for him, and I think that should also apply to Young uh, because he did play, uh, you know, for an NFL coordinator um, who has had a lot of success in the league. And but just to go off some of the traits that I uh, see with Bryce Young is that. I mean, his field vision is pretty excellent, especially for a guy who is as small as him. I mean, his yeah. overall ability to just feel the pocket, to find lanes where he can step up and avoid pressure. And for a short quarterback, I think the biggest risk, and you saw some, a lot of the struggles for the short quarterbacks in the league, whether it's Mayfield, uh, Russell Wilson, and Kyler, is that they're they did not really throw over the middle of the field very effectively, but with Bryce Young doing it at in the SEC against the most high-level competition, he showed that he can throw in the middle of the field exceptionally yeah. well. Yeah, and overall, like I think there was a very good sense of timing and anticipation. Uh, he has a very like innate sense of. Um, where to throw the ball and place it. He does just a tremendous job of, um, you know, playing within the structure of the offense. And I think that matters a lot. And uh, some people have compared him to Steph Curry. You, you know, I'm not going to go there. I don't really have a comparison. We're not doing, we're not doing that tonight. No, no but you and I every think, other podcast is doing it. I, I really think he's a really Play versus Steph. I heard what you heard. <laughs> <laughs> I really think he's a smart playmaker. I just think like yeah. outside of structure, like he does a really good job of, uh, you know, finding running lanes and just throwing the ball from different arm angles. I'm not sure that that in particular will translate because um, his size is going to be a little bit of an issue. And that's probably like his tape to me is up there with like some of the better quarterback prospects who have come out. It's just, 
yeah. he's small and that's i mean he's probably i know he weighed in a 204 but l- let's be honest he probably played in the 180s to 190s and he's not 204 he's not gonna be he's not 204 i also don't think he has the arm strength that kyler murray had you know kyler for a short guy he had tremendous arm strength and he he and one more thing about murray is that he had the frame he was very he was built really sturdy he had a very strong lower half and uh, and murray played baseball so he was always like you know he had the upper body strength on top of that so yeah for for me overall like i think the size is clearly a uh, very big talking point when it comes to his negatives because he's going to be going up against you know bigger guys even if they're not sacking him those hits pile up and you know it becomes an issue and i think we're talking about an outlier of um tremendous degree and one of our favorite coaches of all time me and you is bill parcells and he said you can't build a roster full of outliers and i believe that to be true that's one of the my favorite parcellsisms of all time and i've been thinking about that a lot billy i'll go with um i'll go with this i did not really understand fully what you saw in terms of you know, Bryce being your clear QB one. And look, it's not like it's that big of a dip. You got two guys here. They're kind of at the top of the board. So it's pick your flavor and they're both very good. And I think the big question that we've talked about, and it's been echoed since I've talked, you know, to our sources here, guys that we both know that have scouted or have worked around the league. Some have played in the league that really do this at a high level for a living as, as much as we do, if not more. And there has been a concern that maybe teams are shopping a little hungry this year for quarterbacks because last year's quarterback market was not very robust in the draft. Only one went in the first round and it was not a great class. And maybe this class is not as good as we think. And I had a scout tell me, well, it's kind of not really like that. It's just every year people need quarterbacks. So it's another year. These quarterbacks just happen to fall in a little more of a scope overall in terms of either measurables tape or production results. Uh, projection from thereof that gives scouts a better feel that they could go and not be fired for turning in their scouting report and say, hey, this is first round guy. There's a lot of covering of the asses here with, with um, this quarterback from Alabama, Bryce Young. I I've kind of changed my opinion. If we got to do a ranker here, he'd be at the top of my list right now. Um, and I hate to steal your bit on that, but you, you, you got me thinking about it. And I went and I looked at the all 22 from the Texas game. I went and looked at all 22, and again, some of these were not perfect games. All 22 from like the LSU game, all 22 tape from obviously some of the other SEC games out there, and we've been posting some of the clips of that, but most of it I try not to post because I really don't want to lose my account, so I keep most of it just to myself. It's very good. It's, to me, um, I, I, I look at the way he moves in the pocket, and I think somebody like Bill Walsh would be very proud of it, because there's a light feathery kind of air to the way he moves. Nothing is stressed. It's all very together. It's not compact necessarily. He flows. He has a nice rhythm to the way he glides in the pocket. It's almost artistic. And I know people are going to say I'm a fruitcake or something, but you listen to the way the West Coast coaches and other offensive minds will talk about footwork and drops and pocket movement. He's a damn pro at that. I mean, it is next level stuff. The subtleties of what he does within the pocket, within structure. It, obviously, he's been worked very well by some very smart people at Alabama and is a natural gift for it. The eyes stay downfield. He's smart about that because he knows he can make plays with his legs. He also understands that there's a major frame issue that we're going to get to in a minute, and he can't 
do the Kyler Murray thing. He certainly can't do the Steve McNair, Cam Newton, Steve Young thing. He will not last a whole season. That he, There's no ability to bulk up to a point where you're okay doing that by year two, but you're not sacrificing some of your fluidity and your feel of the game by trying to be Will Levis when you're not. So he is what he is. I wouldn't touch his frame a whole lot because he's got such a good acumen for multi-platform throwing. He can move. He can throw. He's going to be asked in this offense to do a little bit of that, but also work the RPO game and stay settled in. He can do that too. I'm impressed by his accuracy. It's not like off the charts perfect, but it's it's quite good. His anticipation, and we hear that word all the time, and you heard that with Tua a lot. Um, I like his tape better than Tua's from college. I, and I went back and looked at both of them, and Tua had some tough injury issues too. And this is another guy that was, I guess, a little undersized, but still the frame was not as bad. But he's a very natural player. And there were a lot of moments on tape. Like, I just started watching it. And I didn't want to keep it like a Geiger counter under anything. I wasn't, I wasn't tallying them up. But I was seeing drop after drop after drop from this receiving core last year. Um, to your point about last week's pod, you're exactly right. It's one thing you have to go back and think about. Alabama's always got talent, but relative to what, you know, Mac Jones and two and others had had in the past, they, I would think you would agree it was a little bit down last year, right? I mean, they, they kind of had a group that Bryce had to elevate a little bit, and he certainly did that. So, um, yeah, look, I would take him in a heartbeat, and I wouldn't think twice. And it's not that my thought process on C.J. Stroud is diminished. I see a spark within this guy in terms of the way he carries himself in the pocket, the way he moves in the pocket, the way he throws in structure, out of structure on the run. Um, he can run if he needs to. He's got to preserve his body when he does that. Russell Wilson was very good about that for a long time. Slide. I'd, I'd bring every center fielder who ever played in Major League Baseball and sit him down with this guy if he hasn't learned it already. Slide. Do not take a hit. Because the thing that I will say, and I've been very outspoken about this, only because – Three different area scouts from NFL past and present have told me these same, I, and I sourced them without them even knowing I was asking them all the same question. All right. They all came back with the same exact answer about the frame. It, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost them. If he takes like a Vitavea type of sack where you're not supposed to land body weight, but if you do, uh, one guy we know very well that has done this for a long time said that collarbone and that labrum is just sitting there right for the tank. One guy told me he's got framework, upper body framework, that is not as sturdy or just around as sturdy as high schoolers that he coaches now. This is a former guy who played in the league and knows ball and his scouted guys. It's a concern, Billy. It doesn't have to be something we obsess over, but nobody's perfect. And it's not a shot at Bryce's toughness. It's, he's taken a lot of sacks and he's gotten right up, but it's a different game. The seasons are longer um, and anybody can get a torn ACL. People came at me today about, well, Will Levis has been more hurt than him and he's six, four and you know, he's a bodybuilder. What? like, I don't give a shit about that. I'm talking about a specific part of his frame. And as one scout had pointed out, and it's very true. It's not that he's short. We can live with that. It's not that he's light. That's okay. He's narrow, Billy. And that gets right down to the specific issue of his collarbone, labrum, upper body area, that if you take a ground hit, uh, there's a real high likelihood at that size, the rate 
of you getting injured goes way up being built like that versus being built like, uh, I don't know, a quarterback that has athletic traits. And to your point about Parcells, I agree with you, and I always will agree with you. It, it really is important to me to see a guy that fits a certain athletic profile, and that includes size and, and frame and weight. And, look, they had concerns about Zach Wilson with this frame issue, even with Trevor Lawrence, but we knew he had six-foot-six size and much better complete acumen. Bryce is special. There's something special with him, and it's it's not a gut feeling thing. It's quarter on tape. It just comes out. There were moments in those games where he had to rally guys. There were moments I had uh, our good friend Damon Parson on my show, Billy, and he was talking about the psycho mentality he had in that LSU game. And he came out of the huddle, and I think they had to drive the field to tie, and the fans were going nuts. And he's, like, smiling and making funny faces, and he's just cool and calm. He's one of the most smooth operators in the pocket I've seen on tape. Will it translate? Well, maybe it will with this coaching staff, but um, would I draft him? I mean, yeah, I probably would, but I have to make sure he knows how to insulate himself and protect him. He gets deep drops. He gets good depth. He's good about keeping himself kind of clean, but man, don't take, I'm just worried about there's a lot of smart people we all know, both of us, and they're collectively saying the same thing, that, okay, this is something that's on our radar, and that's something you don't ignore. Yeah, for sure. And I think another aspect of his game that's really not talked about, he's not the most athletic guy either for um, for a guy who gets labeled as a dual threat. He's, he, you're not going to see him out. I know he's showed it on tape, but um, he, he's just simply not going to outrun defenders. And he shouldn't. I mean, he still can make yeah, second yeah, reaction what? plays. I'm glad you, really, I'm glad you said that because I saw that too, and I've, I've read that, and I went back and looked at it. And, you know, there's short area elusiveness, escapability, agility that I think fits well into him being like, you know, second reaction type of player where you can extend plays and, you know, look, big Ben was great at this much different size and frame and type of player, but similar in that they could extend plays and make things happen on the second or third swing of it, so to speak. That that's a, that's a pretty valuable thing to have. Now, does Frank Reich want something more like reliable, durable, <laughs> Built for tough, if you will. Like it's kind of like, do I want the big F three fifty that's all jazzed out? And I know it's gonna, you know, do this and that on the off roads, or do I, do I want to go with the sports car? I mean, I don't know. They're both gritty, tough players. We'll get the Stroud too, and the other guys. But young, I just I got into that tape, and I wanted to like give you a hat tip because I, I don't think I watched enough Alabama this year, just covering Clemson and ACC stuff. But uh, there were some weird things going on with the the receiving core there and the offensive line and. He, he really had to play exceptional. I don't think he's had really one bad game on the game logs. Like, do you? I mean, maybe a couple that weren't great, but he's had like almost a flawless stat sheet, and the tape shows that. I mean, he's just an impressive guy. And I think there's value coming from that Alabama lineage. You know, you're coached up by some really smart people, including Bill O'Brien, and, you know, obviously Nick Saban is one of the greats, so – I think you get some NFL experience in terms of the way you think about preparation. I think both these guys, but the top two we're talking about here, at least my top two, are just like the, the really the epitome of like being a pro and being like ready to just come in and work and lead. And it's natural. It's not phony with these guys. So I, I like Young a lot, man. I just, you know, I, I'd like to see him. God damn, I wish he was like 6'1", 210, but he's not. So you just got to factor that in. Yeah, for sure. I'm moving on to CJ Stroud, quarterback, Ohio State. He was also a five-star recruit from Southern California. And he went to Columbus to play under the Ryan Day offense. And 
you know, the first thing about this offense that I want to mention is that there's a lot of like predetermined throws and that allows him to be um, kind of figure out which route to throw and throw it without any pressure. And for the most part, I didn't notice him making too many mistakes in this regard. I think he does a pretty good job of identifying um, pre-snap where to throw it and he throws it. I mean, he's a very, um, you know, natural thrower of the football. And I think you can see that he's extremely accurate. You know, he has a pretty good trigger and he can throw the ball uh, with a tight spiral and layer it at every level of the field. Uh, He probably doesn't have the outstanding arm strength of the other two quarterbacks that we haven't discussed, Richardson or Levis. Uh, But I think he has shown a desire to be, um, you know, aggressive in every part of the field. And one area that a lot of people mentioned that they needed to see more of him was how does he do against pressure and second reaction um, situations? And I think he did a pretty good job of it. And everyone mentions the Georgia game and fair enough. Uh, But I also think like the, the Northwestern game when it was like 40 degrees windy, uh, he really showed his value as a runner. And I think that he can beat pressure with his movement. And I think he can throw on the run as well. Um, but for overall, like, I, I think that there's, it's just very tough to judge a quarterback in that Ohio state offense. I mean, we had this discussion with not only Justin Fields, but Dwayne Haskins too. And, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and go over each of those two quarterbacks, but it, it's a fair question to point out how the predetermined throws that Ryan day's offense creates for QBs and, there were other games, Iowa specifically, where he really struggled and he had issues you know, setting his feet in the pocket and he didn't really navigate the pocket very well. And he just was, his timing was completely off and he didn't do a very good job of, um, you know, playing with poise. And, you know, people are also going to bring up the surrounding talent. I mean, he has uh, potentially two. Yeah first round offensive tackles, but he also had uh, an elite wide receiver and Harrison jr. I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba's a top 40 player at worst. And the other guy, Emeka Uboka is also a potential third, you know, first rounder next year. So he has plenty of talent. I think the scheme caters to him very well for any quarterback, um, but overall, I think that he is probably the best pocket thrower in the class, and he has a very strong sense of throwing the ball with anticipation and layering it at every level of the field. Um, so, yeah, I have for me right now, I would have Bryce Young in a tier by himself, but right underneath him, I would have CJ Stroud and discussing this in relation to the Panthers. I think that either of them would be fine options as a number one overall pick. But for me, I prefer Stroud over young or excuse me. I prefer young over Stroud. Oh, I was going to say, man, I thought we had some breaking <laughs> news here. I think with the quarterback thing, you know, might he prefer somebody that's not coming in at an almost unprecedented uh, frame and weight concern for that size. Yeah. I think you'd be lying to yourself. If you're saying they're not more, comfortable with the framework body wise body type durability potentially at least how you size it up from those metrics of a cj Stroud. 
so Stroud, what I like here, obviously good field vision, good size. Um, you know, you mentioned point guards, all that, you know, I'll go into the world of golf, like, <laughs> like Adam Scott, somebody mentioned him the other day about a repeatable, like golf swing that is always there. Like Rory McIlroy is another example. I look at it in terms of the golf emotion. Stroud is very good at that in terms of he's comfortable with his mechanics. It's not overly mechanical. It's not overly structured and, and rigid. He's very smooth and, and natural with his delivery and his drops and his you know ability to move in the pocket. That is his definite calling card and strength and what that leads to. We've talked to Greg Cosell on the show. We'll do again after the draft. He's talked to Troy Kman a lot. Troy was one of the most accurate passers of the generation there. And Troy had often told him, you know, look, if you can't put the ball where he needs to go, you got nothing. So I think we talk about arm strength, arm strength. And I've, I've evolved my opinion on this a lot over the past few years. You've seen some guys around the league that kind of were looked at as the arm isn't really that strong. Some would even call them noodle arm. And Joe Burrow, hello. I mean, look, pretty damn good player, good competitor, very accurate, under pressure in particular. Uh, I, I see a little bit of that potentially with Stroud there, although that's a big leap. Again, I come into this draft process always a little cautious to compare these guys to guys who are currently Pro Bowl level, you know, hey, we're going to the title game, we're going to Super Bowls, because these guys all have to come in. And let's face it, it's a known fact that chances are half these guys we're talking about tonight will not have a good career. And it probably won't be all their fault. So fit does matter here. I think it's a good fit um, in terms of having these coaches work with them. I think the accuracy is a big trait here that is convertible. It's translatable. He's got a good sense of timing and rhythm. These balls come out, especially the verticals, um, and those aren't everything, but the, the, the deep shots they throw here. A lot of scheme up, I get it, but they come out early uh, in the route, and they come out on time, and they come out well played. He's reliable. He's dependable. Good attitude. Um, and he showed in the Georgia game his competitive side. He rose to the occasion against – one of the better defenses, if not the best defensive structure in college football and played the game of his life, arguably in terms of that moment. And it just came up short The the talent level there was so good. And I think that's become a larger part of my thinking here. When I look at this stuff, it was what I kept saying about Mac Jones back during that draft is, you know, this Alabama open and then there's NFL open and Alabama back then had kind of what Ohio state's cooking with now. Um, and Alabama will have it again. Don't worry. It just was not quite up to snuff last year, which is why Bryce had to work a little harder. But damn, Billy. I mean, I'm looking at Stroud's tape, and some other guys are stealing the show. The way they're sealing off left and right tackle, the way they're they're getting production there on the boundary and, you know, across the field on the deep overs and all the stuff that Ryan runs, you know, ran some of the wheel stuff. Some slant wheel concept was really cool. And Harrison is just so good and crafty. Of course, he learned that from his dad. And, Smith and Jigba, you know, had about 900 yards in that Rose Bowl. He can catch balls all day. They've got just – they had just an amazing set of, of pieces for him to work with. And, you know, other guys have had that. Joe Burrow had it and others. Trevor Lawrence had great weapons. The most important thing in drafting a quarterback to me is what are you doing with your offense? Does he work within that structure well? Can you operate around what he does best and, and navigate your system around his strengths? I don't think there's a whole lot that needs to be done there in terms of having to flip what you do on its head because Frank has been around a lot of good coaches, a lot of good staffers, and a lot of good quarterbacks. The only thing I want to make sure I'm getting here is a guy who's built to last. And Stroud, I think, is a steadier performer in terms of 
being kind of built to go and he can get hurt at any time. But again, the thing with young, I admire the fact he plays so damn well. The tape made me forget about it. I was forgetting, like I'm not even concerned because nothing got tipped at the line. Beautiful release points on these throws. Uh, great mechanics in terms of setting his feet. A lot of movements there. So you had to get reset on these throws. Um, oh, I just think both of them have good improv skills too. Good sensibilities in terms of how to not get themselves in harm's way. I like them both. I think they'll be in good hands. Anthony Richardson now. Uh, he only started 13 games. And, uh, you know, first off, this is a guy who, by anyone with a rational mind, can agree is arguably the most athletic quarterback to ever enter the NFL. And I think that was shown in his combine performance. And he, he's just a touch of just brilliance from an athletic standpoint. And when I, I'll talk about what he does as a thrower first. I think he is a better thrower than people give him credit for. And I think he does the quarterback things much more, much better than people uh, try to project it. I think Dan Orlovsky, or excuse me, not Dan Orlovsky, uh, JT O'Sullivan did a really good video breaking down, um, you know, how well he does within the pocket. His issues are mainly mechanically and his footwork is compl- very inconsistent and it just leads to some of the just most erratic misses that you'll see. But I mean, he has outstanding arm talent. I mean, he can drive the ball with top velocity and high RPMs to any p- part of the field. And he actually does throw with pretty decent downfield touch. Uh, I think that he can throw the ball from different arm angles too. I think he's shown that. I think that touchdown against South Carolina um, that he threw in the first quarter was a pretty good example if you want to go back and watch that. And I mean, he's just the floor that you have with a quarterback like Anthony Richardson is like Justin Fields 2022 because he is a fantastic runner. And he is not only just a good runner from uh, an opportunity perspective like he can find he has good vision and all that stuff i mean he's just explosive and he has a speed you go watch that lsu touchdown i mean that was just remarkable and i think he's a better runner than justin fields because he's bigger first of all and he has probably just much better like playmaking instincts in the open field and so if you're going to craft an offense that's similar to what the bears were doing when Justin Fields was cooking, I think that's, you know, a very high floor for your team. And I think that's what he presents. Um, but certainly he is very um, inconsistent with the nuances of throwing the football. And I think a lot of it has to do with his footwork and he's just, <laughs> um, you know, he has to throw with better touch, especially on shorter throws, uh, but man, I was really just disappointed with his supporting cast. It, it was, I mean, they had so many drops on tape and, you know, you know, the offensive line, I think will be pretty good. One of their guards of Cyrus Torrance will be a first round or early second round pick. Um, so he definitely played with, yeah, I'm not going to say he didn't play with any talent. I would just say like, um, you know, the receiving talent was very, uh, oh, frustrating, yeah. but Dude, yeah, it- I, I think that he is. I don't know if he's wearing the number one overall pick, um, but I mean, I don't know how much we want to get into Lovis. I mean, for him, it's similar. I thing. don't. I look. Um, I, no disrespect. I'll just. Yeah. No. 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 I, I, what, what I'm going to close out with here with Bryce Young tier by himself, CJ Stroud tier by himself. Underneath that, I have 
3A and 3B, Anthony Richardson and Will Levis. And um, I'll like to get your perspective on Richardson, but yeah, him and Levis are kind of like in their own tier for me right now. Um, to, to me, if I'm tearing it out here, and I, this is unofficial, folks, so don't hold me to it, um, the, my more robust analysis will be next week. But like right where I'm at now, you know, Young has impressed me a lot with just what I can see from all 22. And that's, a, to me, a better indicator of just watching broadcast tape. Better indicator would be on the ground knowing what these guys are doing firstly. And I don't have that relationship with them, nor does anybody that's not within the structure of teams. So all the stuff I hear, though, the, the in terms of leadership, you know, focus, acumen, you know, the ability to put career first, team first, all that stuff you want from your guy. Um, and, and, you know, not to say that you can't have a life, but, you know, these guys, you know, Belichick's talked about it, your love of football. What, what are your football priorities? And I, I get the sense these guys rank that very high, if not highest right now. And I'd say, you know, Richardson had absolute – people cover the sec that i know have had on my show here down at fox sports upstate um we know billy napier a little bit you know he's got some background up here at firm and he played here it was part of clemson staff for a long time people got to remember you mentioned the talent skill issue down there they billy's napier's just kind of getting his thing going here and they're they're not a very good team yet and richardson i all i remember he's a guy that came in into a game early i believe it was a utah game last year I'm sitting there watching after one of my Clemson broadcasts, and I was kind of just taken aback by what I'm seeing here in terms of the athletic traits. It blew me away. And a lot of scouts out there look at that as very valuable. A lot of fans and a lot of um, media types will kind of snark at it and say, well, how does the how does him, you know, his vertical leap help him hit a five-yard out route? Well, I mean, once again, there's some people, I think Jeremiah did a pretty good job of this. He broke down one of his stat lines which can be explosiveness that's what it does yes it's the, the stat lines completion periods are useless as tits on a bull they really are you look at traits compatibility of the nfl with those traits explosion numbers thank you that's exactly right and there is viability for that position look at jalen hurts look at cam newton look at andrew luck and others uh, over the years that have incorporated that element of the game into and it's not just about being a quote, running quarterback but yes, damn, to have that ability to get, you know, 10 pops for, you know, 70 yards any given game, that's what made the Panthers go. That's what makes the Eagles go right now in a lot of ways. So I'm intrigued a lot by him, and I am not ruling him out, if I'm making that decision at least, by any means. And, and no disrespect to Will Levis here, but again, you talk about footwork here. Will's got some of the same things going on lower body mechanic-wise that I'm seeing with Richardson. And Will, from what people have talked about too, he's wired up and bound up and he's so just built right now. But there's just a lack of fluidity with the way he throws the football that sometimes it just gets away from him and it's just, it's all gas, no breaks. And he's had some coordinator changes. They had some injury issues. He had injury issues. It, it's a hard eval with him. A lot of things about Josh Allen people were wrong about. And a lot of people, thought Joe Burrow might not be as great and Pitua was going to be great and he really wasn't. And But all we know is what we got on tape and, and Richardson, man, it's not just the tape. He's got, like you said, a, a real athletic, um, you know, just a set of numbers there that are off the charts. I mean, better than what we've seen probably ever. And, and that includes Newton. That includes others because, you know, Newton's 40 time wasn't quite that good. And there's some explosion numbers from this guy that are unbelievable. He's, 
built like a damn tight end that could probably catch a hundred passes, but we're out of that mode now. Thank God where we got to get in the mindset of moving him to a position. He's a bona fide quarterback and I'm, I'm glad he's going to get real consideration as a top 10 pick. I don't know if you move up to one to get him. And that's the only thing. If, if, if your idea is to move up to all the way to number one to control the draft, if your idea then is to maybe move back, if you anticipate him being available, Richardson, I'm talking about here, then I guess you can figure out a way to do that. But was the plan all along DJ Moore was not considered to be that important to your future because you pretty much just gave up DJ Moore for an opportunity to draft either CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or presumably Richardson if you have some type of level of interest but you feel like it's too much of a reach at one. Then you're getting into a bit of a, a nitpick, a dangerous game there. But we know Trader Scott is going to be on the phone every second of every day trying to figure something out. Um, I, I, I was talking to my brother James about this, but I'll leave you with this. I mean, I, I respect my brother. I'll get him on the pod one day. I think you'd like him because he knows ball. I didn't talk a lot, but he, he said at this point, you know, I just kind of say, fuck it. Let's run the triple option and bring it in. And he's got enough, like you said, throwing ability with his velocity placement, just core fundamentals in terms of what he does in the pocket, that this is not running the the Paul Johnson offense. He can be a passer in this league. Structure's got to be good. It's got to work around his strengths in the beginning. I don't think you have to sit him for a year. I think you could play him pretty soon. I think it'd be good to go to a good team. I agree um, with that. I think maybe Tennessee or something. They just drafted a guy, but you know, that might not be the best fit with the weapons. You got to think about what, Richardson can do for you. And I don't think you have to be delicate with this guy. I think you can put him in early. You can play a little bully ball with him, hard up in the paint, get you know, your power running scheme going with him. Let him run some option off of that. And then just run some vertical shots. I was talking with our buddy, Matt Bowen, who's going to come on the show next month. And he, he's great. He said, you know, power scheme vertical, kind of like the old or Coriel uh, North stuff we were doing early on with Chudzinski. It's, then you can start enhancing. And you saw Newton you know, had some of the same concerns, and he became quite a good passer from the pocket in terms of full field. Um, and then the arm went out, and now we're here without Cam Newton. So I, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm kind of getting excited, man, because the more you look at some of the tape, um, and Levis will be my next study, and there's probably some things on there I'll see that I haven't seen yet. It's kind of okay. I see some things that justify top 10, but I, I'm not there with – top one <laughs> i think you got two quarterbacks here that have and i'm still not sold that they're both worth of the number one overall pick but you got to think relative to what the team needs right now or what they feel like they need and obviously somebody in that building felt strongly enough that they needed to trade away what they did to have that pick and um i hope it works i, I have confidence that they've got the right people to make it work um i just stroud is, is just fluid and accurate Young is special, man. I, I think he could be a superstar. If he stays healthy, he could be a fucking superstar. Um, but that's that's where I'm at with these guys. Yeah, uh, pretty good breakdown. Um, I mean, those are kind of like our general thoughts right now. And I know, John, you have more work to do on these guys. But um, like I said, I mean, I like to group these guys into tiers. And, uh, you know, based on what Carol, excuse me, Carolina has done to trade up to number one, I think it's probably appropriate uh, to, uh, you know, decide between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. I think whoever they take is fine. Uh, I don't know if those two guys will be like the top players on my board. I'm still working through that. I would probably assume that they won't be, uh, just because I think there's other 
talented uh, players that I have ranked higher. But if you're taking a quarterback first overall, I think those two are certainly worthy of their selection. Um, one, because they traded up to do it. And two, because, uh, yeah. yeah, I just think they are probably the two best in this class. So, Hey, we'll, we'll see what happens, man. This is going to be a very interesting time here. Um, you know, Anthony Richardson's pro days is Thursday. Uh, so we'll expect to see the entire cavalry, as I like to say. <laughs> at, at... <laughs> yeah. And pay attention to, you know, make sure everybody's there. I mean, obviously they can't tip their hands. So, well, they actually can, cause they run the train. Yeah, we gotta just, um, yeah, man. Everyone take it as how you will, man. I will. I have my own opinion. I'm, I don't have any intel on anything. Uh, but to me, I just feel like Bryce is the clear cut number one guy. Um, but he's you know, special, hey. man. I tell you, he's fucking special. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that, that's gonna be it for us tonight. Uh, we'll come back here and do another draft preview as uh, we get down the road. And I believe, as John said, uh, we'll have our a former guest on who usually likes to join us this time of the year, Matt Bowen. He'll, it'll be a good listen. So look out for that the week of the uh, the 10th and April there coming up. Definitely. And uh, that's going to be it for us tonight. And uh, thank you everyone. And we'll talk to you guys next time.